Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, October 3rd, 2022. It's officially the start of spoopy season. On the show today, news, surveys, and listener questions. Then in our main segment, Jim tells us about the history of Walt Disney World's Peter Pan's flight, which opened on this day back in 1971. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that screaming into a pillow may be therapeutic, but will get you kicked out of Target. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len. Though, speaking of Target, on Monday afternoon, when Nancy mm -hmm. and I couldn't get a flight out of Orlando and decided that we would then drive back up to New Hampshire, we swung by Target to get water. And this was just like 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Monday. And the water was it section... like entering the Thunderdome? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and there was no water. I mean, the entire, right. you know, the, the back of the store where they traditional... I mean, it's Florida. You have 37 yeah. different versions of bottled water, all gone. It was like Echo Canyon back there. <laughs> Yeah, was it like a uh, like like an episode of American Gladiators? That's what I'm picturing this as. Pretty much, you know. And again, yeah. this was before people got out of work, so I, I don't even want to imagine what it was like in there at five. So you know, and oh, but we yeah, were well I on the imagine. road at that point. So I think uh, I think Walmart uh, ended up uh, having water for quite a while, so that was good. Okay, well, good, good, good. And speaking of uh, getting off the ship, I want to do a quick shout out to everyone who attended our first ever Disney dish on the Disney Wish cruise. This past weekend, we had so much fun mm -hmm. and met so many amazing people. Uh, thank you all for uh, for coming along. Absolutely. We'll have more to say about that later on. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers DAW579, B. Fison, Jason Engel, and Craig B. And Craig B.'s uh, username is WizBizard210. <laughs> I think actually he's doing that just to make it difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Also, longtime subscribers, Joy Johnston, Janet Sala, and Brian P. Meyer. Jim, we've all heard about supply chain issues rippling through the economy these days. Well, these dedicated Disney artists are currently hard at work in the cucumber fields of the Vlasic Pickle Company, selecting the perfect specimens for the unusual but traditional pickle-shaped Christmas ornaments that guests will soon see in Epcot's Germany Pavilion. True story. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm a little late coming to the table with the, the pickle-shaped ornament. I barely found Waldo, and now I'm looking for pickles. <laughs> and now you've got that. Yeah. So. All right. On to the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right. A couple of quick uh, housekeeping items. Jim and I are doing the second annual Gingerbread Challenge in Walt Disney World starting Friday, December 2nd, 2022. Uh, and uh, Jim here, I just want to uh, address a scurrilous rumor from the Disney dish on the Disney wish uh, that happened this past weekend that all of the contests were rigged in order to give prizes to small children. And that's scurrilous because it's not a rumor, it's true. The winner of our Run Like Jack Sparrow contest, for example, was a lovely child named Catello, and she got an actual trophy that was almost her size. We saw her later that day, and she was still carrying it around, and we'll probably do the same thing here. Also, we're doing a live podcast recording on December 2nd. Tickets are all available at touringplans.com slash 2022-disney-dish-tp, all lowercase. Also, uh, Jim, I think you know I'm speaking at IAPA yeah. in Orlando on November 18th, so if you're in and around there, come see me. I'm on the uh, the academic side mm -hmm. uh, at that point, and I believe it's a uh, like a 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning thing which is good for me because the caffeine will have kicked in by then. 
All right, Jim, on to the uh, news. Uh, Jim, big news out of uh, Walt Disney World is that Disney's brought back after hours events in 2023. Did you see this? I just saw this. And again, just right after the first year. Is that correct? Or? Yeah. Uh, so first one uh, starts January 4th at the studios and then January 9th at the Magic Kingdom. The Magic Kingdom uh, dates so far January 9th, 16th, 23rd, then a little bit off for President's Day weekend, but then the 16th, the 20th, 27th of February, then March 2nd, 6th, 13th, 16th, 20th, and 27th. Mm-hmm. So during spring break. Prices range from a uh, $135 to $159. Seems like the most common price, I think it's around $155. Mm-hmm. There are discounts for pass holders and DVC members. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's good. But Jim, this is a uh, this is the return to what you have called, you know, selling the park twice in one day. Yeah, two bites of the same apple. Also, speaking of things that went on sale, the Epcot Candlelight's processional packages mm-hmm. and narrators were announced this past week. They go on sale October 6th, so it's coming Thursday. Here are the restaurants and prices. So Beer Garden, $65 for adults, $37 for kids. Coral Reef, a bit more. $74 adults, but cheaper for children somehow. Mm-hmm. Not sure what that is all about. Garden Grill, $71 for adults, $46 for children. La Celia, a cool $100, Jim, <laughs> for adults and $39 for children. The Regal Eagle Smokehouse, which is a quick service, $40 bucks for everyone. Rosencrown Dining Room, $64 for adults and $28 for children. And then Spice Road Table, which is only available the same day. Mm-hmm. I guess this is overflow. $52 for adults and $23 for children. Hmm. So tons of uh, availability there for what is always a popular event. Right, Jim? Yeah, absolutely. And they try to, well, with the exception of Garden Grill, virtually all of these restaurants are sort of around the performance venue, aren't they? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Regal Eagle, which is the American uh, pavilion, is the only counter service as far as I can tell. Oh. So that's interesting. Okay. I mean, there aren't that many uh, restaurants that people would eat at mm-hmm. anyway. You know, don't forget, uh, Acres Juice is still not open. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing about this, Jim, is that they've announced the narrators. So it starts um, November 25th. Mm-hmm. The narrator for those two days, the 25th and 26th, not yet announced, uh, nor is the uh, narrator for December 7th through the 9th. But we have uh, Edward James Olmos, Raul Esparza, mm-hmm. uh, Whoopi Goldberg, mm-hmm. Isabella Rossellini, Josh Gad, Gloria Estefan, Neil Patrick Harris, always super popular, mm-hmm. Mariska Hardigay, mm-hmm. uh, Cal Ripken Jr. I don't know which show he was on. Um, Marie Osmond, Courtney Vance, and Angela Bassett. Mm-hmm. Now, Jim, I did some digging here mm-hmm. uh, on IMDb, and half of these narrators have been on the TV series Law & Order. And so to the producers of Law and Order, mm. I implore you, please make a Christmas episode with the stars here who have not yet appeared. <laughs> so that would be Isabella Rossellini, Josh Gad, Gloria Stefan, Cal Ripken Jr., Marie Osmond, and Angela Bassett. Jim, I would watch the hell out of that show. <laughs> uh, more to the point, Len, I, I feel like the story of the nativity and now has to start off with the tong tong. <laughs> I mean, think about that. That lineup would be excellent. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Angela Bassett is either someone's mother or someone's fairy godmother in this, right? Gotta be. Gotta be. Or Marie Osmond. I'm not entirely sure here. Yeah. Okay. All right. You guys know what to do. We have to have listeners in New York. Mm -hmm. I think all of them have at one point or another been actually on Law & Order. Mm -hmm. Make this happen, guys. There you go. Also, uh, Jim, we could have an entire category of news titled, why wasn't this announced at D23? Mm-hmm. 
like Deadpool three. Yeah. Um, but here's one for the th- <laughs> right. But here's one for the theme parks. Mm-hmm. Disney announced this week that Disney's Ducktales World Showcase Adventure will debut at Epcot in 2022, and that's kind of interesting because. It was originally announced three years ago, almost mm-hmm. December of 2019. And I think, Jim, since we haven't heard anything about it since then, we everybody thought it was canceled. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, thanks to our friend Patrick for sending in this news, along with a tweet, Jim, from Francisco Engones, who actually wrote the show uh, and the script for uh, Disney DuckTales World Showcase Adventure. He tweeted out on the 26th, we wrote this so long ago that I don't actually remember what happens. <laughs> As long as we're doing some ducktail news here, my pal Ken Plume has written an art of the DuckTales reboot series, which was supposed to hit store shelves this month, but has been pushed back to November. Supply chain. Yeah, we all know. Okay. I want to say it's coming from Dark Horse Publications, but what's really cool about it, Len, is it actually comes with its very own number one dime. So for those of you who are looking to be lucky like Scrooge, this is the book to chase down. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, also in uh, in news, uh, Epcot's Figment character is apparently getting a script. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, the headline here is that Disney Dragon character Figment getting feature treatment from Dan Hernandez, Benji Samet, and Point Grey? Jim, what do you know about this? This isn't even a script at this point. This is, as they mentioned, it's, it's a feature treatment, as in they got an idea that they're going to develop into a script. Um, and no casting on it, kind of intriguing on the heels of the Haunted Mansion movie, which they showed a trailer of at the, the, the G23 Expo. Here's another theme park IP that potentially is headed to a theater or more likely Disney Plus, you know, Disney some point in the future. Yeah, that's so. what I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that's uh, something to look forward to. Yeah, but it's super preliminary, right? If we were talking A through Z, this is to the left of A. <laughs> It's it's the squiggly mark that preceded the formation of the letter A there back we go. in uh, Phoenician alphabets. All right. Len, it's cuneiform writing at this point. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All right, Jim, let's do a couple of quick surveys. Our friend Jennifer sent in a Disney dining survey mm-hmm. after her stay at a hotel. And it's interesting here because there are two questions mm-hmm. that are related. Thinking about all the places where you may have consumed food and beverages on the date that Jennifer visited, where did you eat your primary meal during the breakfast period? Please think of the breakfast period as any time before 11.30 a.m. So I guess 11s is, is out here. But okay. Yeah. The options are a non-Disney restaurant, mm-hmm. fast food location, convenience store, etc., near Disney or my resort hotel, mm-hmm. or in the resort hotel rental home RV where I was staying, in the resort rental home RV where I was not staying, in the car bus shuttle on my way to the activities I did this day, while traveling in Central Florida at an airport, a flight, in a car, or other, or I didn't eat or I skipped breakfast. So Jim, let me ask you this question. Why do they want to know where you ate? I'm kind of intrigued, Len, by the one that's in the middle there. In the car bus shuttle on my way to activities? Yeah. Are you thinking that there's going to be some sort of like contemporary drive-through option now, or I'm wondering, is this the start of say somebody, an official cast member, or somebody, you know, maybe a third party who suddenly appears on your bus or the monorail offering food? 
Like walking down like one of those cigarette girls from the 1940s. <laughs> Just remember, this is the Bob Chegpeck version of the Walt Disney Company where no revenue stream is left unexplored. You know, are we missing an opportunity here? No, no, no. I think you're exactly right mm-hmm. that this is a survey about um, untapped revenue mm-hmm. and breakfast. You know, things like that. Because I think we all know that the primary thing on your mind in the morning is let's get to the parks as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is interesting. So the follow-up question that Jennifer sent in on this Mm -hmm. is equally interesting because Jennifer uh, noted that she ate in the resort hotel, Mm -hmm. rental home, or RV where she was staying. Mm -hmm. So then the next question is is this. Was that a restaurant in your resort hotel, Mm -hmm. a quick service location, a food or snack cart, a market or store in your room uh, that you purchased elsewhere, in your room room service, the concierge lounge or something else. So not only did they ask, you know, where you ate, mm-hmm. but what kind of facility it was that you ate at. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I wonder if they're gonna if they're thinking about putting more breakfast options available. But every every Disney hotel has a breakfast option. But again, it's what are we leaving on the table? And yeah. if people walk out to the bus and are, are waiting and haven't eaten. Is there mm. there's something we could do there? Oh, you could do a cart there. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, think about it. They have, like in the Animal Kingdom, they've got carts outside of Pandora mm-hmm. where they serve those the biscuits that you get, the breakfast biscuits that you get at Pongo Pongo in Pandora. I mean, they could do the same thing and just truck out some chicken, uh, bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits to the bus stops at each of the resorts. There you go. There we go. And some coffee. Okay, that's not a bad idea. All right, we'll see where this goes. That's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Jim, we've got a couple of listener questions. Uh, one is from Susan Albert. He says, I'm a brand new subscriber. Oh, welcome, Susan. Thank you. And a longtime listener. And I've attended one of your New York City shows. I love the episode about hurricanes. My son was in the college program during all three hurricanes that you mentioned. For Charlie, he was sent from Animal Kingdom where he worked to help out at Pop Century. He spent the night sleeping on a food court bench. <laughs> haven't we all, man? Haven't we all? <laughs> For Francis... He was on the rideout team at Animal Kingdom Lodge and got paid for 36 hours and was put up in the hotel. That's my kind of living. For Gene, he wasn't assigned, mm-hmm. so he had to spend the hurricane in his apartment on call, but did help with cleanup at the Animal Kingdom. It was probably his most memorable time there. I called to see if he had listened to your podcast yet and told him what it was about. We talked about it, and it's still so clear in his mind. He can't wait to listen. Awesome. Obviously, these people are compensated for their time in the park, but this is actually a pretty dangerous job. And I don't know if this morning you've seen the photos that are coming out of the Universal Orlando Resort. Where? Oh yeah, Universal. uh, Yeah, I mean, Universal might be down longer than today and tomorrow. Mm Yeah. yeah, because the Jurassic Park ride show building literally has a hole in its side right now. Yeah, yeah. Early this morning, there were a number of folks, that can't be real. And then somebody came in with a photo from an entirely different angle, and it's holy crud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also now, Jim, uh, since it was the Jurassic Park area, have we seen any dinosaurs <laughs> walking walking around Orlando? We know what happened. <laughs> well, somebody pointed out just now, you understand that this is literally the story. Of, it's the know, plot for Jurassic Park 7, right? Yeah, right know, right. Again, a hellacious storm blows in, knocks out power, and dinosaurs escape. So, you know, just if you're out on iDrive, stay indoors today, folks. Nobody needs to be an hors d'oeuvre, okay? Jim, if you scroll up in the show notes, you see that I have an opening that we haven't used yet mm. uh, related to Jurassic Park. <laughs> and it it says that uh, 
Uh, let's bring in the man who points out that the size of the gates in Jurassic Park suggests that they were always planning to let the dinosaurs out. <laughs> and now I can't use that. <laughs> dang. Oh, dang. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Deleting that now. Okay. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. Let's go back to the shows. All right. We also got an email from Janet Sella, who's one of the Bandcamp subscribers that we thanked mm-hmm. earlier in the show. So complete coincidence. But uh, but here's here it is. Mm-hmm. Janet says, a couple weeks ago, I made the sucker purchase of Magic Band Pluses for our upcoming trips. Mm -hmm. I was concerned that there were no directions on what to do enclosed in the box. Mm -hmm. So I went to my Disney experience and managed to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But today I was recycling those Magic Band Plus boxes and noticed a couple of QR codes. I immediately felt guilty. Certainly this was the link to the online instructions, so I tried them out. Mm -hmm. The first QR code on the Magic Band box sent me to Speed Queen Washer Dryer Parts on Google. (laughs) The second QR code sent me to a link at the National Institutes of Health webpage for cattle genetics and then a Philips LED light link. And honest to God, I didn't believe this. So I had Janet send me copies of the QR codes and she is absolutely right. I tried them myself. <laughs> I think I think this is one of those things, Jim, where the QR codes were placed there as placeholders mm-hmm. and got missed in the QA process. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, have you ever gotten a, you know, a fortune cookie with the message of help? I'm, I'm a prisoner in a Chinese cookie factory message. You know? Exactly. I'm just exactly. wondering, you know, hidden agenda here. It's like, please help me. I'm in the magic band factory. Honestly, we went back and forth because the first, the first thing that Janet sent me, mm-hmm. I could see the QR codes, but I couldn't scan them on my own phone. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I need you to pull this out of the recycling bin <laughs> and t- take pictures of this and send it to me. And yeah, mm-hmm. the same thing happened. So Never fails to disappoint, Jim. Never fails to disappoint. We go. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we return, Jim tells us about the history of Walt Disney World's Peter Pan's flight, which opened on this day back in 1971. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Do you remember the sorts of problems you were asked to solve back when you were in school? X plus Y equals Z. Well, who could have dreamed, once you became an adult, that you'd be facing problems that were far tougher to solve than algebra? Things like, how do I get out of my own way? I faced a similar sort of challenge right after my divorce, when when my ex took our then-infant daughter and moved 6,000 miles away. There's no other way to say it, folks. I was a wreck. Mind you, it all worked out in the end, in large part because... I was smart enough to listen to the advice of friends and family and then got into therapy, which was where I then learned the skills to, well, be less stressed, become more confident, realize that there were brighter days ahead. I honestly have to say there is no better feeling when you finally learn how to find the solutions to your own problems. And and talking to a therapist can help you acquire just those sorts of problem-solving skills. So if you find yourself in a similar sort of situation, if life's gotten to be a little overwhelming, well, why not give BetterHelp a try? BetterHelp is convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. And you can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. Look, if you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DisneyDish today to get 10% off your first month. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. My mom turned 90 earlier this year. Still lives in her own home. Still as sharp and funny as she's ever been. In fact, just yesterday afternoon, when Nancy and I swung by her house for a visit, 
Mom shared a story from her childhood that I had never heard before. She said that her dad's idea of a swear word was jeekers. This was back in the 1930s, folks. It was a very different time. Which got me thinking, how many other stories from my mother's childhood? She grew up in Dorchester, Mass. during the Depression. Do I still not know? I, um, well, that's why I'm so glad that there's a StoryWorth. StoryWorth is this online service that helps you and your loved ones connect through shared stories and memories. Every week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a unique prompt of your choice. A thought-provoking question that's almost certain to shake loose an interesting story like, what's one of your fondest childhood memories, or how did you meet your spouse? As for the answer to that last question, well, my mom met my dad when she was nine years old, and the two of them were in Sunday school together. In fact, for that year's Christmas pageant, mom and dad were cast as Mary and Joseph, and they then stayed together for the next 80 years because, well, as my mom likes to say, we didn't want to break up the set. It's just those sorts of stories that StoryWorth prompts your loved ones to share. By the way, if you'd like to hear even more of these sorts of tales, might I suggest that you check out the official StoryWorth podcast, which shines a spotlight on actual StoryWorth customers who have similar sorts of stories to share. So why not let StoryWorth help bring you closer to your loved ones? To learn more about all the stories you can discover together, go check out storyworth.com slash podcast. Again, that's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash podcast to learn all about the stories you can discover. Storyworth.com slash podcast. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, Jim, I note that you say that Peter Pan's flight opened on this day, which is October 3rd in 1971, but that is not the opening day of the Magic Kingdom, now, is it? No, the theme park actually opened two days previous, which gives you some idea of what a work in progress Walt Disney World was back in the day. And, and of course, Peter Pan Flight is based on one of the three dark rides that opened Fantasyland at Disneyland back when Walt's Family Fun Park first opened in July of 55. And each of these Fantasyland dark rides had their own unique flavor and offered the guests a, a unique experience. And, and Peter Pan Flight was the pretty ride. You know, you, you first flew out the window of the Darling's Nursery in a tiny pirate galleon and then soared over the busy nighttime streets of London before charting a course for that star that was second one to the right. And then you get the Neverland, you head for Skull Rock, you watch Captain Hook sneaking up on Peter while poor Tiger Lily almost gets drowned by the rising tide, which is a little on the nose today, Len, you know? <laughs> All right. And then past the Indian Village and then off to the Jolly Roger, circle around that, and Peter rests control of the ship away from Hook and Tink douses it with pixie dust, and as we, we head for the exits, we see Hook almost being consumed by that crocodile while Mr. Smee rose to his rescue. And it's again, it's a book report. But 
this was the pretty ride, whereas Snow White Adventure was this supposed to be the scary one. Cast members back in the day used to call this Snow White and the Seven Witches for the number of times that character popped out. And finally, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride was supposed to be the thrilling, funny one. Oh, okay, okay. All right, cool. Okay, now these three dark rides were originally not supposed to be part of Fantasyland at the Magic Kingdom. Mm. The thinking at Imagineering, at least back in the mid-1960s, is they didn't want to repeat themselves in Florida. Wed wanted guests, especially those that had already sampled the company's offerings out in Anaheim at the original Disneyland Park, they wanted an entirely new set of offerings for these folks if they traveled to Florida and visit the Magic. Okay, not, and that makes sense, right? I mean, it does. It don't, does. Don't repeat yourself as a as a valid thing in entertainment. Okay, this carried out th- throughout the entire park. You can see the bones of the idea if you look at the Magic Kingdom's original lineup of attractions. I mean, for example, in Florida, yes, they have a submarine voyage ride, which at Disneyland is in Tomorrowland. But in this case, the sub-attraction is in Fantasyland, and it's also heavily themed around the studio's 1954 Academy Award-winning release, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Okay. Similarly, if this park did not have a great moments with Mr. Lincoln, which, again, was built down on Main Street out in Anaheim and and put in that theme park's opera house. Uh, Rather, it had a Hall of Presidents, a far more elaborate affair, with animatronic versions of all of our nation's commanders-in-chief, not just Honest Abe, all by him is lonesome. And that was also located in an entirely different land of the park, Liberty Square. And if all had gone according to plan, Florida's Magic Kingdom wouldn't have had a Pirates of the Caribbean attraction at all. It was supposed to have... Western River Expedition. Mm -hmm. Ah, nice. Interesting. Okay. And you can see the same idea carried out if you look elsewhere in the park. I mean, the Imagineers made a deliberate effort not to repeat themselves. So Disneyland has Sleeping Beauty Castle, whereas Florida's Magic Kingdom is Cinderella Castle. Even Main Street at the park, you know, the California version is kind of a mix of Fort Collins, Colorado, and Marceline, Missouri, whereas the one in Florida is it really picks and chooses from various cities up and down the East Coast. I mean, I, I think when you and I were over doing the walkthrough of Saratoga Springs a few months back, we talked about mm-hmm. how the Main Street in Saratoga Springs, New York, was used as the you know sort of the the, the model for the the train station at the Magic Kingdom. As for the Enchanted Tiki Room, I mean. In Orlando, that Adventureland attraction was given a brand new pre-show, which was deliberately built undercover to keep guests both out of the hot Florida sun as well as out of those soaking central Florida land rains. As well, it had a new name, well, a couple of new names, Len. Building was known as the Sunshine Pavilion. Okay, so it's the Walt Disney, uh, Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room presented at the Sunshine Pavilion. Well, that's where it gets confusing because if you walked into the park in 1971, what you saw was a poster that said "Tropical Serenade." Tropical Serenade, right? Right. I forgot about that. I wanted to share this story from the news of Walt Disney World. This is an in-house newsletter that the company created for the thousands of construction workers who were working on site in Orlando oh. to complete this destination resort. In is this the is this the one that you found in on eBay? Yes, recently? yes, I got a, ah, I, I yes, scored okay. a pile right. of these, and I will be sharing these stories going forward over the the next couple of months or so. But so we've 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 never heard these stories. They're crazy because it's, it's real time <laughs> out ahead of the resort opening. I mean, for example. This issue is from June of 1971, three months prior to the Magic Kingdom Open. 
reading a quote from our article uh, with a headline that says, Walt Disney World provides unique showcase for industry. One of the first organizations to sign to participate at Walt Disney World was the Florida Citrus Growers, who have a major attraction in the Magic Kingdom theme park in the Sunshine Pavilion. Similar to the Enchanted Tiki Room at Disneyland, it will present a musical luau starring the Enchanted Birds of the Sunshine State in a tropical serenade. So just that last sentence, clear that the PR team hadn't yet settled on a name. There's no actual name referenced in that blurb. No, no, but like I said, the poster for the park, when you went in it said 71, said tropical serenade, but park map said, okay. if guests wanted to see the East Coast version of Disneyland's Enchanted Tiki Room, they should head over to the Sunshine Pavilion. And, and to further muddy wow. the water here, all of the transplanted Californians who had flown out to Florida to help open Walt Disney World through sheer force of habit ignored all of these other names and kept calling this Magic Kingdom show the Enchanted Tiki Room. <laughs> we're, we're calling it three different things, ignoring the fact that it's going to be confusing to new guests. Mm -hmm. Just choose the one you like. There we go. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll understand. Go it. see the bird show. Oh it's over God. there. That's beautiful. That story goes on to say there will be a unique Sunshine Tree Terrace refreshment location in conjunction with the attraction. Florida citrus fruits and juices will be served throughout the Magic Kingdom. But it's the photo that accompanies this article that I think will intrigue Disney Dish listeners the most. And I'm, I'm going to try to get a copy of this posted and put up online, but it's the very first appearance of Orange Bird. Oh, God, is it the prototype version 1.0 of the Orange Bird costume? Oh, God, Len, this costume is rough looking. I, I imagine it's the jack-in-the-box character mascot, <laughs> but painted orange. <laughs> like if Anita Bryant had creative control over the jack-in-the-box character and said citrus. You, you seriously are not wrong. It, it's that round <laughs> head, but with the worst looking pair of footy pajamas you've ever seen in your life. This caption goes along with the photo. The Orange Bird is an example of joint marketing effort between Walt Disney World and in industrial participants. The Orange Bird was created by WED Enterprises for the Florida Citrus Growers for use in promotional campaigns. Now, Len, this part of the Walt Disney World story just fascinates me because the Florida Citrus Growers were the first through the door. The first organization to effectively raise their hands after Project Florida was officially announced in November of 65. And because of that, the Imagineers said, okay, because you were the first to offer to sponsor, sponsor you know, an attraction at Walt Disney World, we are now going to create, create a character for you that from this point forward, you can use in all of your print ads and commercials. Oh, God, I'm looking at the costume. Yeah. Jim, it looks like someone put the jack-in-the-box head on Barney the Dinosaur's body. Oh, my God. What is that? Yeah, it's a little disconcerting. But, wow. but again, WED didn't do this for any of the other corporations that got in line after the Florida Citrus Grows. I mean, we're talking Borden, Coca-Cola, Eastern Airlines, Frito-Lay. Yeah, they were like, yeah, we got this. We're cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you think about how ubiquitous Orange Bird is right now, you can get plush, you can get plastic yeah. toys, you can get cups. These rights must have reverted to Disney at some point. I made a point of checking out the Orange Bird stuff that we have here at the house, and at no point on it is there anything that says Florida Citrus on it. Right. So this reverted to Disney at some point. There's a story there we got to go digging on. Also, the um, they've they've changed the look and the shape of the Orange Bird's face over the years because it went from like 
really exaggerated vertical oval eyes mm -hmm. to much more rounded uh, eyes. And also the beak too is, yeah, there's a lot of, <laughs> this, uh, this bird has had a lot of work done. <laughs> anyway, we, we start out this speech by talking about how the Imagineers wanted the Magic Kingdom to have dark rides that were different than the ones that have been built out in Disneyland. So, so what did they first want to, to, to build in Florida to fill those same slots? Remember, we were talking about the pretty one, the scary one, and the funny, thrilling one. Okay, pretty scary, funny, thrilling. Okay, it's like, uh, it's like the three plots on every Love Boat episode. Okay, go ahead. Okay, the pretty one was supposed to be the Sleeping Beauty ride. Going to key off of the Ivan Earl production design. Guess what or two? Oh, okay. Yeah, what or two or two have traveled through a stylized storybook environment, watched Briar Rose dance with Prince Philip, then laugh as they visited the woodcutter's cottage and looked on as the good fairies bungled their attempt at celebrating Princess Aurora's 16th birthday, and then just missed the giant snapping jaws of Maleficent as a dragon. And I mean, as a pretty ride, you cannot beat those original production drawings because we saw them over at the Metropolitan Museum of Art when they did the Disney thing. Those were amazing. No, 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 absolutely. Good. Really, really nice yeah, stuff. Killer, killer stuff. The thrilling, funny ride was supposed to be have been built around that moment from Disney's Sword in the Stone where Merlin and Mad Madam Im faced off at a wizard's duel. As guests traveled through this dark ride, they have they would have found themselves caught in the crossfire between Merlin and Mim as these two sorcerers slung spells back and forth, which would have all would have then paid off a, with the end gag of the wizard's duel. That that again, that was the original name of, of that was proposed for the Fantasyland attraction. Borrowing a page from the Haunted Mansion, just before you reach the attraction's unload area, your ride vehicle was supposed to have passed this bank of mirrors. And as guests looked into the mirrors, they would have seen that their ride cars no longer contained humans. They were pigs, cows, walruses, elephants, rhinos. Oh, doing the uh, Pepper's, uh, Pepper's ghost effect. There we go. But what was great about this is just before you left the show building, you were supposed to have encountered a, an animatronic Berlin who would have waved his wand and said, oh, sorry about that here. Let me fix that for you. And so oh, you would have been human again before you returned to the offload area. And as for the scary ride, Len, this is the attraction, uh, the, the loss um, that really still upsets a lot of Disney animation fans. It was the legend of Sleepy Hollow Ride. Ooh. Your show building was supposed to have been where Peter Pan flight is located today. In fact, what's kind of interesting, it would have allowed... Liberty Square to extend its footprint up the hill from Harbor okay. House. All right, still fits. So you board a giant hollowed out pumpkin <laughs> and you begin to move through the attraction. Now, what makes this better? And in fact, what's what's fascinating because it predates Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin by 23 okay. years okay there's a there's a wheel in the middle of the pumpkin and you can spin it as you roll through the ride building where periodically the headless horseman on the back of his fearsome black steed would appear and menace you wait so the guests got to got to spin the ride the guests got to spin the ride oh so you would have to build sets that were visible both front and back. Oh, that yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh, so that gets, that's complicated and expensive. But man, so it's like Mad Tea Party on a track. There we go. But in a pumpkin. So why didn't we get these three different Fantasyland attractions? Well, as the original projected cost of building Walt Disney World uh, effectively doubled from the $100 million that was originally announced in November of 65 to $2 million, $200 million. in the spring of 67, um, 
Yeah, Roy O, uh, Disney, Walt's brother, uh, who effectively picked up the range on Project Florida after Walt passed in December of 66, asked the Imagineers, was there anything they could do to, to reduce the overall cost of building Project Florida? Because Walt Disney Productions publicly held company, and, and Roy felt an obligation to shareholders, and Following Royo's orders, uh, the Imagineers scrapped their plans for designing and then building three brand new dark rides for Florida's version of Fantasyland, opting instead to revert to the tried and true Peter Pan flight, Snow White's Scary Adventure, and Mr. Toad's Wild Ride from Disneyland. And the Imagineers can never leave well enough alone. And they looked at what they'd built in 55, and it's like, geez, it's. That's not sophisticated. If we just change this one thing. Yeah, and that's the thing. It just wasn't sophisticated enough, they, they felt, for East Coast audiences. And so what they wound up doing was redesigning all three of those rides, which, again, ultimately is why the, the cost of building Walt Disney World rose from now $200 million to $400 million. I mean, mind you. Jim, the- Jim, I can hear the sound of every project manager that listens to this podcast slamming their headphones down in disgust right now (laughs) and walking away. (laughs) I bet in the long run, it would have probably have been cheaper to go with. Oh, you know it. You know. uh, I mean, it could have been worse, right? And we would have ended up with new rides. Yeah. But but anyway, so that brings us to why we got what we got today. And on the other hand, you know, I, I don't think there's a Disney park around the globe right now that doesn't have a Peter Pan flight. It's just... Or at least all of the castle parks have this attraction. It's considered a must-have uh, wherever sure. you go in the globe. And the, I mean, we've talked about this on the on the show before, but it's one of the classic secondary attractions. Oh yeah, in every Disney theme park, right? It's not the thing that you're going to go to first. That's going to be Seven Dwarfs Mine Train mm-hmm. or Space Mountain or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things that you have to get to next because it's so popular. Lines are going to build up quickly, so it's like top tier the secondary attractions in any Disney theme park. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's an interesting story, Jim. I'm, I cannot wait to, to hear more stories from this uh, this cachet of uh, new Not material that you got. Lots of good stuff here in this pile. Awesome. All right, cool. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today, folks. You can help support our show and Gmail Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. Several new Bandcamp exclusives are available, including the one we just recorded on the Disney Wish on the history of Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean attraction. So funny story, uh, we did this show on the Disney Wish in the Luna Auditorium in the middle of the ship, and the sides of that auditorium are open to guests who are walking by on their way somewhere else. And we heard after our show, and we heard after our show that guests were asking Disney, why wasn't this thing on the Navigator app? And what are these guys doing it again? So I thought that was I thought that was a hoot. I, I agree. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at tutorialplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be reading from great, great, great grandpappy Ringo Adams' sonnet titled "You've Rustled My Heart Like a Herd of Holsteins" at the 2022 Chakwata Cowboy Poet Gathering around 4 p.m. on Saturday, October 8th, at the Chakwata Auditorium at Gensendander Park. Honestly, Jim, I think they make these names to make it difficult for me. In beautiful downtown Waxahachie, Texas. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. A quick note to listener Brandon B1234, please email me to claim your Disney Dish t-shirt for leaving a review last week on iTunes. And thanks to everyone who wrote those reviews. We'll be doing another drawing real soon, so keep them coming. 
For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.